Well, good morning, Crosstown. Awesome. That was, that was great, guys. Uh, at this moment, I want to just say, if you're new or visiting, I'm John the Wellsville Campus Pastor. You're stuck listening to me today. I want to welcome our Olean Arcade, Greece, and Shingle House campuses, as well as if you're joining us today online, we're glad that you're here with us on this. I got to look because I keep saying it wrong. I kept calling it Memorial Day, but on this Labor Day weekend, I know probably after the service, you guys are looking forward to getting together uh, with family and friends uh, and probably eating some good food. I'm really looking forward to the food as well. If you can't tell, I really enjoy food, so holiday weekends are a great excuse uh, really to eat some. So really, we've made it. We finally have done it. We've hit our last core value. If you've been here through all of them, awesome. Congratulations. Uh, if you're not, if you have not, uh, we are going to be finishing it up today. If you've missed any of the sermons because you've been traveling out and about, or if today's your first day and during today's message you hear something that uh, piques your interest and you want to go back uh, and learn more about Crosstown, I would encourage you, uh, check out our website at crosstownalliance.com, or if you have the app, uh, you can get those sermons right from there as well. If you don't, the app is available on all platforms, just search Crosstown Alliance and download it from there. What is the first thing that you think of when you hear go the extra mile? That was Kent. Folding laundry after it's dry. You can, if you cannot tell, he's married. Anybody else got anything good? What'd you say, Sharon? Hard work. Anybody else? Washing the dishes before the wife. We have some smart men here in Wellsville, amen? So I posed this question to Chloe and Kendra. I got to admit, their answers were, were not as awesome. I'm sorry, guys. But uh, Chloe said, when I asked her, she said, I think about going on a long walk. That was her answer. Then Kendra said, running a mile. Again, nothing too fancy, but I just wanted to have some fun. And oh, I got a, another one I want to tell you. So I was, I always practice my sermons with my wife. Thank her for listening, putting up with me. And I was telling her about it. And you know what she said? The first thing that came to her mind was a chariot of fire. I have no idea what that has to do with go the extra mile, but that's what she came up with. All right. So I just wanted to have some fun. Hopefully you guys thought it was fun. Kent, thank you for participating. Terry, your wives would be very proud of you. So like I said, we're going to be going through our core values. We have been going through them. And as you look around, if you're newer and you haven't been here, or if you are and you've listened to them all, it's really easy to start thinking of a list of things that we expect you to do or a list of things to do. And, and I have said this and other pastors have said it, but again, we want to remind you. A core value is something that defines you in the sense that people know you for those things. They're not just things that you are willing to do or a checklist of things you have to do. It's what you're known for. And really, that really sticks out in this last uh, core value of go the extra mile. In fact, I broke it down a little bit, and then I have a lengthier explanation of what it could mean. But I want us to really think through this. So, in fact, if you think of go the extra mile, the actual definition of go the extra mile means to go above and beyond what is expected or uh, to do more than is expected. So, so it's going the extra mile. Um, and the, the second part of it 
is we believe in doing our best when doing something in the name of Christ. We believe in doing our best. So what is our best? Well, Scripture tells us that our best or our good deeds are like filthy rags to God if we're not doing it to show his glory or doing it for him. And I say that because a lot of people do a lot of good things. But if it's not for God's glory, it's considered filthy rags. So in short, we can only give our best because God has already given us his best. And then that last part, uh, doing something in the name of Jesus. So when you do something in the name of, of someone else or in the name of something else, you're doing it under their power and under their authority. So we only do our best, we can only do our best in the name of Jesus. So to rephrase it, uh, with that information I put, we go out of our way in every situation and circumstance to show people the love and mercy of Jesus in everything that we do because God went out of his way to show us his love through Jesus. So if we don't approach things like this, if, if we don't approach the things that we do or the people that we come in contact with from an outpouring of our relationship with Jesus, those just become things to do or people that we should be serving. And as a result of that, we are only going to honor ourselves and draw attention to what we did. And we will not draw attention to what God did or glorifying him and honestly, what he did was far greater than what we did. He extended his grace and his mercy by sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. So when I was putting this sermon together, I was like, I need, I want an example of what it means to do something for the wrong motives. And I got to be honest with you, it really didn't take me very long. And no, I'm not talking about myself. I live with three tiny little man children who are still in training and who are a living example of what it means to do things for the wrong reasons. If you can go ahead and put that picture up there, guys. This is Emmett, Noah, and Oliver. Noah's all the way on my left, and then Emmett's in the middle, and Oliver's there. And if you notice, I picked this picture on purpose because it's Christmas time. They're opening a present. And they, my kids, I'll be honest with you, they will give their best when there's something in it for them, a reward, a praise, or even just to draw attention to themselves. And if you have kids, or if you've ever been around kids, or if you were a kid, or still are a kid, then you know this. You know that when there is something that a kid wants, they will do their hardest to show you that they deserve it, right? And it's amazing sometimes how they will go above and beyond to get along, to not fight, and not to argue, not only just with each other, but also with Nicole and I. It's amazing how much faster their schoolwork and their chores get done, but not just how much quicker it gets done, but the quality in which that it gets done. It's fantastic. They will go above and beyond, and also any parent knows this. When your kid is really trying to do something for the wrong reason, they will tell you umpteen hundred times how much they love you, right? Hey, mom. Hey, dad. Love you. Oh, yeah. I love you too, man. Five minutes later. Oh, love you guys. Oh, love you too. 
they will certainly put forth their best effort when they want something. Also, the other funny thing, if you have kids, you know this, it really depends on who's around too, who's watching, or even who's asking. So we have, all of our friends do this, but if we are around our friends or our parents or our family, and the boys know they're probably going to get a treat or spoiled, you better believe that they are bringing their A game, okay? So I just, I just really wanted to share this with you because with the wrong motives, we can still do our best. We can still do good, but we can do it for the wrong things, which brings us to what we're going to be talking through in the passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at today. So if you have your Bibles um, and you want to turn to Luke chapter 10, we're going to be looking at verses 25 through 37. If you don't, don't worry, you can follow along on the side screen. Sorry about that. My mouth only gets really dry when I preach. So, so again, we're going to be Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. And I want to give you a little context to what's going on. We'll look through the whole passage, and then I want to go through and chip away and share just some of the nuggets in here. So this is called the parable of the Good Samaritan. So if you have your Bible open, you'll see that heading. But the context is Jesus has just sent out 70 disciples in his name, under his power and authority, to go cast out demons, heal people, and, and proclaim that the kingdom of God is near. So these guys all go out. They all do this. They're all coming back. And here's the scene. So they're all coming back. They're talking with Jesus. They're talking about all the stuff that happened, all the stuff they were able to do in Jesus' name, the healing, the, the casting out demons, all this stuff. And Jesus says to them, do not give thanks for what you've done, but give thanks and praise that your name is in the book of life. So Jesus immediately, he's telling these guys, it's not about what you did, it's about what I've done. You're, you're in the book of life, all right? So in comes this person listening, which happens to be a scribe or a lawyer, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But he steps in, poses a question, and then Jesus responds to his question through a parable. And if you don't know what a parable is, it's really simple. It's a story that illustrates a point. Jesus taught in many different parables and many different kinds of parables. Sometimes it was a mystery what he was talking about to the people, and other times, like you'll see today, Jesus was making it clear as day what the point he wanted to get across was. So let's pick it up at verse 25. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law, and how do you read it? And he answered the scribe, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Jesus, you have answered correctly, do this, and you will live. Verse 29, but he, desiring to justify himself, the scribe, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replies, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him bare, beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, the priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, 
came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring, oil, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set, him, he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when, you come, when I come back. So Jesus turns from verse 36 says, Which one of these three, or which one of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He, the scribe, said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. So that's where we're going to be hanging out, is in, the, in that passage today. And I really want to, uh, like I said, go through it again, but slow down and really hammer it out because Jesus lays it out pretty clear when we read it, but when we have a little bit more insight into what he's speaking to the scribe, it makes it even more clear to us. So verse 25, we'll just, we'll just pick it up there. It says, behold, a lawyer. I said we'd come back to it because a lawyer was a scribe, but not just any scribe. A lawyer would have been a name given to a scribe uh, that was an expert in all things when it came to the Old Testament law. So he would have known everything in and out. He stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What's happening here is this lawyer or scribe is trying to trap Jesus by asking what the law says about inheriting eternal life. Now, we know Jesus is Jesus, so Jesus knows exactly what the guy is asking, but he also understands because it's Jesus, and he gets to ask this question a lot, always what the intended heart or purpose is of the person asking. So instead of being trapped by this question, Jesus is actually going to end up trapping the scribe with his own question by asking the question. So verse 26, Jesus replied, what is written in the law, and how do you read it? So Jesus, again, like I said, he turns it quickly. He, he gets asked a question and then refers it back to the scribe, again, knowing what the purpose is. Verse 27, he says, And he answered, You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. So the, scribe, the scribe's answer basically sums up all of the Old Testament law. And he actually answers the question that Jesus poses back to him the same way that in other accounts, Jesus actually responds and answers the same question to other people who are asking. And the reason why love sums it up is because someone who fully loves God will do what God's word reveals to be the truth, but also in the right way. See, your relationship, our relationship, my relationship with God will reveal what it looks like to live it out from moment to moment, regardless of who or what is involved. So then Jesus tells the scribe to go and do this, to do this and live, which is a common phrase uh, would have been used in the Old Testament to describe. If you do these things, you will live. Keep this covenant, you will live. But the problem is, that no one can do these things perfectly. So the reality is, the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments, all these things that we know of and heard of, they weren't 
the purpose of them was not so that we have a list to do. The, the reason why we have these 12 core values is not so that we have a checklist of things to do, but what the Old Testament law, the purpose of it, was to show how broken and lost that we are. And it was actually meant to drive the Israelites to God's mercy, not to give them a checklist to do for righteousness, but to drive them to his mercy. So then Jesus, because he knows this motive, tells him to go and do this thing, which Jesus knows is impossible. So instead of hearing the impossible and being broken, he responds, verse 29, the scribe does, by desiring to justify himself. We do this too, and we're going to talk about it. But desiring to justify himself, he says to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? When Jesus said, go and do it, should have immediately humbled him. Because he had just laid out something that was impossible to do, and Jesus said, well, go and do it and live. But instead of being humbled, he became self-righteous. And that's the same way for us. And whenever we read God's word or spend time thinking about it or meditating over it, we should go away humbled and broken. Not proud of the things we read and think, well, I do that really well. We should go away humbled and broken. So again, this response, his response shows his self-righteousness and the idea that I've done the first part. I've loved God. I've done all this. I've done all this. And now he's trying to, to shrink his scope of responsibility by asking this question, who is my neighbor? And not only does it show his self-righteousness, but really a culture of self-righteousness amongst the Pharisees and the scribes. And the reason is because for a Pharisee and a scribe, what they would have said was a neighbor was a righteous person. And a righteous person to them would have been uh, somebody who was Jewish and somebody who was not a tax collector or a prostitute. Everybody else, if you were not Jewish or you'd, you were not a neighbor, they did not have to extend grace. They did not have to do anything for you because you were not their neighbor. That's how they viewed it. So he's posing this question to Jesus, again, as a trap, but also to limit his scope of responsibilities. And church, I really want us to think about that for a second because as I was really ripping through this, this is one of the things I really wanted to call our attention to. Because I know for a fact, unfortunately, we've experienced it in previous churches too, that there are a lot of people in the church, not just, and I'm not saying just Crosstown, but big C church around the world, that are only neighborly or respond in love and care to other Christians. And sometimes, not even all other Christians. The ones that are easy to get along with, the ones that aren't difficult. So, we see this, and if we stop and think about it, we know this is true. So in the sense, when the scribe's asking, we're already sometimes restrictively living out who we would say are our neighbors. So he says this to Jesus, and I want, again, to look at how Jesus responds to this man's question through this parable. And it's going to become very clear who our neighbor is. Verse 30, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, this would have been a very rocky and windy road that was notorious for being a cesspool for robbers and thieves and a whole bunch of other danger, which we see quickly. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest 
who would have been the religious leader, the top guy, was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side of the road. So likewise, a Levite. Now, a Levite, um, when you think of some of the Old Testament law, you think the priest. This was not what it is being described. A Levite, this in particular one being described, would have been somebody who assisted the priest in the temple. So you're talking about the cream of the crop as far as religious leaders go. Um, so, you know, you can think of, put anybody in that role. That would be like myself and one of the other pastors on staff. Not like that, but it would have been just like that. And they went out of their way to walk on the other side of the road to not just avoid the situation, but to completely avoid this person. It says, verse 33, but a Samaritan. Now, if you don't know, the Jews and Samaritans were like oil and water. They detested each other. The Jews detested the Samaritans. And this plays a huge role in what and how this scribe is hearing it. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a second. It says, but the Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and, wa- oil and wine. Now, I want you to know, these are commonly, this was a commonly carried item. So this would have been like the modern day traveler's car first aid kit. This would have been their first aid kit. They would have used the wine for antiseptic, and then they would have poured or rubbed oil all over the wounds to soothe them. So he's giving up his first aid traveling kit for this man. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So here's the Samaritan. He gives up his first aid kit, and not only that, he throws him on the back of his animal and then walks his animal and this guy to the inn, takes care of him, and then it picks up and says, and the next day he took out two denarii, which would have been two days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And like I said earlier, this parable would have been very difficult very difficult and even frustrating for the scribe to hear. First, Jesus highlights and draws attention to the behavior of the religious leaders, which that man would have identified with. So he, so he essentially is calling him out through this parable and talking about how he, this, these guys are avoiding helping. And then to contrast that to show what should be doing, he uses a Samaritan, which again would have been a detestable thing for them to collaborate with, work with, or serve. He uses them to contrast and show love. So it would have made it very hard for him to hear. Not only that, not only did it irritate him, but he probably began to realize what Jesus was doing, and that was exposing the nature of his question. And then after Jesus finishes the parable, he poses another question back to the scribe. So he answers his question with a story and then poses a question back to the scribe after he says his piece. And it says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, just like he did before, you go and do likewise. See, Jesus made it very clear to him 
that being a neighbor or being his neighbor or anybody's neighbor is not something that is merited by someone based on who they are, what they do, or anything that they've done. That being a, a neighbor is not an earned thing, but a responsibility that this man had, that all of us have, to show to everyone. And notice, in the scribe's answer, it says that he knows he's busted. He doesn't even say the Samaritan. He could have just said the Samaritan, but no. He speaks into the heart of the matter. He says, the one who showed him mercy. He wouldn't even speak the word Samaritan. He spoke the action that merited what the neighbor should have done. See, Jesus makes it clear that loving God and loving our neighbor is about our hearts. Because if our heart is filled with the love of God, everything that we do will be an outpouring of his love for us. Jesus then told him to go and do likewise. It doesn't go on to say what the scribe did or the lawyer. It doesn't go on to say that he, doesn't even say the condition he left in. He just left. And we can only hope that he went away humble, realizing uh, that honoring God or, or doing the right thing or inheriting the kingdom of heaven was not something that could be accomplished by what we do or the man's status but only through the grace of God. And let's face it, church, we're really not much different than the scribe at times, are we? We've all misplaced our motives for what we are doing and why we are doing. We probably have a laundry list of things we didn't really give our best to or situations that we've given our best to where good enough was good enough. We probably have a list of people, a Rolodex of people in our brain right now that we can scroll through that we, don't either, we either don't give the time of day to or we begrudgingly do or people that we just try to avoid doing anything for or with, period. Because we don't want to show them the love of God and we're not letting our life being outpouring of the love of God that we have in those moments. So we can all be like the scribe. How do we not be like the scribe? So before we land the plane, pray, and all this stuff, I want to equip us all. This isn't, this isn't something, a, a, this isn't a list of things to do. This is more like a way to gauge, take inventory of our heart, and to keep us on the right track, doing the right thing out of an outpouring of our relationship with Jesus, not trying to earn merit or favor in taking away from what God's done. So the first question that we need to ask ourselves and can always ask ourselves to check our hearts is, why do I go the extra mile? Why? Is it something that I want to do? Is it something I want praise for? I want it done well. I, I, I want this. It's going to result in this. It's my motive, or is it the outpouring of your relationship with God? And the chances are, a lot of times, if we, if we were to ask ourselves that, if we have to wonder what the answer is, we know what the answer is, right? If I have to say, am I doing this for God, or, or is there something else driving this? I've already answered it, right? Because we've already gone over it. If we are doing it out of an outpouring of our relationship 
We're going to do what God's word says. And not only are we going to do it, but we're going to do it in the right manner. The second question that we need to ask ourselves always to keep our hearts in check again is what gets my extra mile? What gets my extra mile? Am I giving my best in everything I do, in every situation that I come up in, or is good enough good enough? Guys, this this really probably hits home with us because we're always thinking, what are we going to do? I know even for moms, it's a lot of times we can fall into, we have a list of things that we have to do, and we do. There are things that we have to do. There are circumstances and situations we're going to be in. But how we walk through that and who gets the glory when it's said and done will be revealed through who we draw attention and focus to. Those things that we're doing, are we doing them the right way so that we can say we did them, it's done? Or are we doing them so if someone asks, we can say, hey, only by the grace of God I was able to do it that well. What gets my extra mile? And the last question is, who gets my extra mile? Um, Who gets my extra mile? Who are the people uh, that you're not giving your extra mile to? That's the first thing that probably pops into mind. But the reality is, in this question, what we're saying is, am I going out of my way to show everyone the love of Jesus or just people that I deem worthy? What about the crotchety checkout lady? What about uh, our neighbor who is miserable to us all the time and you dread seeing him? What about our family? I use these examples because these are things that I have to catch myself struggling with. What about the people that say terrible things about us? What about the people that have said hurtful things to us? Do we, are we showing them love? These are the things we have to ask ourselves because, again, they're not things that we can do. They're things that remind us of why we're doing them. They're things that check our hearts and our motives. And I, I want to leave these, these, just this last couple things. I just want us to think about this. What would our churches, our campuses, churches around the world globally look like if we live this out? What if we were a church of people that went out of our way in every situation and all circumstances to show people the love and mercy of Jesus in everything that we do because God went out of his way to show us his love through Jesus? What if our lives were just an outpouring of our relationships with Jesus? What if we stopped approaching the things that we do or the people that we come in contact with as just things to do or people to serve, or maybe even people to avoid. What if we went out of our way to avoid honoring ourselves and drawing attention to what we do, but kept our focus on honoring God and drawing attention to what he did, which was extending his grace and mercy and by sending Jesus to die on a cross for our sins. That's my hope and prayer for our church that we would have everyday faithfulness in our relationship with God and that he would allow us to see every moment and every person as an opportunity to show his grace and mercy. Church, let's not be a church of people that do things and serve people. 
Let's be a church that goes the extra mile. Worship teams at all campuses, you guys can come up. I'm going to close this in prayer. Father God, I just thank you so much for the example of Jesus and how he just makes everything simple, kind of. Lord, we thank you for this parable and how it really reveals to us that there's nothing that we can do to earn your favor and there's no situation, circumstance, or person that doesn't deserve ours. Lord, I pray that you would really work on our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Make us more like Jesus. Give us the desire, the heart, and the boldness to pursue you so that everything that we do, every situation that we're in, every person that we meet will receive an outpouring of your love for us, through us. Help us to be a light in a dark place, Lord. Help us to love like you've loved us first. Lord, we pray for these things in your son's precious, holy, and matchless name. Amen.